millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 224, and we're going to answer some great listener questions we got recently. So without any further ado, I will go ahead and read our first question, and then Andrew and I will do our usual give and take. All right, here we go. I have, hey, guys, a fairly new listener here. I have a question to ask for the podcast. What happens to your stock shares when a company goes through a major change, i.e. the CEO retires or gets fired? The company is acquired by another company or the company files for bankruptcy. How do you react to situations like this? Thanks for all the great info, Dave in Denver, Colorado. All right, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Dave's in Denver's great question here? I like it. The answer for each of those are going to be different for each scenario. So I was looking at a company the other day who are going through CEO changes. So maybe I can, I'll tackle that one first. So what happens to your stock shares when the CEO retires or gets fired? Nothing changes with the shares itself. So business goes along as usual and the board of directors will do their best to try to figure out who the next CEO is going to be. Um, We had an example of that recently with Starbucks where their CEO retired. He had told the company well in advance And so he retired. And so the founder actually came in, Howard Schultz. He's kind of a legend in in the business world a little bit. He's in there as interim CEO as they try to recruit for a new CEO. So what happened with the stock price is actually went up 5% when they found out about Howard Schultz becoming interim CEO because people love Howard Schultz. Like I say, he's a legend. There was another company I was looking at 
in the banking industry and they had a CEO kind of mysteriously go under medical leave and then some other executives left too. And so the stock has been hammered because there's so much uncertainty around what's going to happen with the leadership. So the stock can move any way when you have a CEO change and a transition. What happens to your actual shares though is nothing. You still own part of that company and business goes on as usual. What happens to your shares with those couple of other scenarios actually can be different. But for a CEO transition, nothing happens to your shares and the market could go up or it could go down. Is there anything that you would do if a founder-led company, let's say that when Steve Jobs left Apple, would you would that cause you to rethink your decision to be invested in that company? I would say probably not. In the way of like, you kind of have to give new CEOs the benefit of the doubt. And especially if a business has been doing well, this is all my opinion, obviously, but if a business has been doing well, that culture should still be in place. And so a CEO might might come in and might ruin things, but you kind of hope that they don't rock the boat and just keep this gravy train rolling, you mm-hmm. know? But you do want to kind of take a look at if the CEO is doing something that doesn't seem very prudent. Like I actually dealt with this a couple months ago. It wasn't a new CEO, but it was CEO of a company and had like a spotty track record, but I kind of liked the price that the stock was at. And then they go and they make this acquisition using like eight years of cash flows. It's like a huge, huge acquisition. And that's like a really risky thing to do with investors' money. So I got out of that stock. But kind of the way I look at it, which almost seems taboo these days, but I feel like you're innocent until proven guilty. And you know that's kind of how you have to operate when you're, if you really want to invest for the long term, because you're going to have CEO changes all the time. I mean, not like every day, but over a five, seven year period, that's probably around the average tenure of a CEO, five, six, seven years. So you're going to have to deal with some CEO changes as you invest for the long term. And if you're just, jumping the gun because you're nervous over somebody ruining the stew, then you know it's going to be tough to be long-term investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, so uh, something that kind of pops to mind is, what was that Peter Lynch quote about a company and a, a monkey or something? Oh, something about like, uh, or was it Buffett? He said, you want to invest in a business that's so great. Is that the quote? Yeah. You want to invest in a business that's so good that an idiot could run it because, because one day an idiot will. Right. So <laughs> I think that maybe kind of goes a little bit to what Andrew was talking about is really giving the replacement or the new person a bit of time to figure out if that person is going to be the one to run the bus or not. I would agree with everything that Andrew is saying. I think the bigger issue is if you see that the company is making computers and all of a sudden it decides it wants to be in the pizza industry, then, okay, well, maybe it's time to go jump ship. But if they're continuing the gravy train, then you know chances are that you may not know it. And sometimes you can determine it. The CEO that's replacing the one going out could have been groomed to take that person's place. And in the case of First Republic, which was the company Andrew was referring to earlier, they lost their CEO under kind of a little bit mysterious circumstances. And then the woman that they were grooming to take his place because he was planning to retire anyway, then she up up and left not too long after this person 
after the current CEO stepped aside. So it was just all kind of really kind of strange timing. And then I think they lost the CFO at the same time. So it was like the three top positions all of a sudden were just poof. So, you know, that can be kind of a scary situation because now you got the Titanic barreling down the road without anybody driving the bus. So, yeah, those are things to think about. Okay, so let's talk about the second part of this question here. So what what happens to the stock shares if the company is acquired by another company? So what happens to your shares if your company gets acquired? It's really going to depend on how it was acquired. Was the acquire paying in cash or are they paying with their own shares? And so both of those can happen pretty often. If, let's say, uh, Berkshire is a good example. They just bought Allegani, the insurance company, yep, and they're paying in cash. So if you're a shareholder of Allegani and Buffett's saying, hey, I'm going to pay you this amount uh, per share for your shares... Cool. If it's a hundred bucks a share, I'm getting a hundred dollars for my shares from Berkshire. And it goes through the whole legal process and there's a time period for that. So we, we mentioned that when we talked about the arbitrage with Microsoft and Activision, mm-hmm. there's a long time for that to process before it all goes through. You know, you can get most of the amount of what the acquisition's going for by selling your shares because the shares will pop up very close to what the deal what the final deal is at. But that's not final and it does take time and there can be drama around that. But that's the general gist. The second option is if a company pays with their own shares, if if they are acquiring the shares you own by using their own shares. So Dave, you mentioned Square acquired Afterpay using shares. So can you break down like if you're a shareholder of Afterpay, what happens to your shares after that acquisition closes? After the acquisition closes, when now Block bought Afterpay, I think they just closed on a transaction just recently, you get a percentage of Block shares for your Afterpay shares. So now you become an owner of Block. And it depends on what rate they work out for the exchange. So I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but a lot of times it would be more than you are owning. So let's say, for example, you own, to make it easy, 10 shares of Afterpay. You might acquire 11 or 12 shares of Block. So now you own those shares of Block and you get to decide whether you want to keep those shares or sell them after the transaction is done. So now instead of owning Afterpay, now you own Block. And so that's kind of how it works. It really, when they announce the deal, they will list how the acquisition is going to be financed. So it'll either be in cash, it could be cash and shares, or it could be shares. And they will tell you right up front how many shares of each and how that's going to all transfer. But that's how they'll do that. I know that when Amazon bought the grocer, uh, Whole Foods, that's kind of what they did. And Fiserv, when they bought WorldPay, that's what they did as well. They offered shares as well. So those are ways the company will use their equity, I guess, to acquire other companies. So I guess the trick is deciding whether you want to be an owner of Amazon or Fiserv or Block or whether you want to sell out at that point. Yeah. And that's going to be uh, the answer to that's going to be different in every situation. The way that the number of shares gets determined, it's really based on like to use like a Amazon as an example, they said, "Hey, we're going to pay you know however many billions of dollars to buy Whole Foods." 
if Amazon's share price was 2000 or something and they're issuing that many shares, <laughs> and if Amazon's, they're like going to dilute the number of shares to pay for, let's say, $2 billion to buy Whole Foods. And then however many of shares that equals then gets distributed evenly to all the shareholders of Whole Foods or whoever the company is. And so that's why those numbers, we can't just say, oh, it's going to be like this for every company because it depends on how much the company is paying for, how much they're paying in dollars, and then how many shares they're issuing to get to that, which depends on Amazon stock price, and then how many shares Whole Foods was split into. And then you know Amazon shares will get split into the Whole Foods shareholders and they'll each get their allocated amount per share of that they own. Exactly. And each deal is going to be different. And the general running rule, if you will, is the company that's being acquired will, the premium is it can range, but kind of the average is around 30%, but it can go much higher than that, depending on how much bidding there may be or how badly the acquiring company wants the acquiree. And I know that I'm in this situation right now with a company that I own, First Horizon, which is a, a small regional bank that I own based out of kind of the Southeast, was recently acquired by Toronto Dominion Bank out of Canada. And so the deal isn't final yet. And my the stock price, I didn't even know the deal was happening, to be honest with you. I just happened to look on my brokerage account and all of a sudden the price was up almost 30% in one day. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> so <laughs> I had to go on the news and find out, oh, they accepted a bid to be acquired by TD Bank. So I haven't decided whether I want to keep the shares or not, or I haven't even frankly looked into the deal yet because it just happened about a week ago or so. So I got some time to figure out what I want to do. But yeah, so it does happen and it is something to be aware of. And you know, you have to decide what it is you want to do if you want to own that company, whether you want to be a shareholder of Amazon or not, or Block or TD Bank. And that's what I have to decide. If it's going to be a share deal, then I have to decide if I want to own TD Bank because I don't know if I do or not. And so I need to do some research and decide if that's something if I want to own it. If I do, then I'll just stay where I am. If I don't, then I will sell those shares and use that capital to invest in something else. Yeah, that's very well said. Good explanation. As a finance nerd, you would assume that I have my money game all together. Well, shocker, I didn't until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. They release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. So I guess the last option, what happens if your company files for bankruptcy? What happens to your shares? This one's not as fun to talk about. Mm-mm, no. Again, it can depend on exactly the situation, but as a shareholder of the company, chances are you're going to lose everything. So whatever was there, it's going to go to zero. This is the worst case scenario in investing in the stock market. As bad as some of the stocks drops have been recently uh, in the market over the last few months, the worst, this is the worst. Going to zero is the absolute worst. And As a shareholder, we have the least rights to any money that could be received if the company is liquidated and they sell off the remaining assets. Most of that is going to go to bondholders and preferred stockholders, and we are last in line. So as a stock shareholder, this will be be the last position, and most of the time we'll get nothing. Yeah, it's like if you look at entrepreneurs, they take all of the risk, whether that's sweat equity risk or whether that's putting money into a business and then so they get to reap all the all the profits it's the same thing in the stock market the equity holders which are stockholders people owning these shares they're taking that risk and so if the company flops you're exactly right you're going to get wiped out and then the people who are the lenders to the business like bondholders they get paid first and they usually don't get everything they were owed but they get like a settlement in court and they're able to pick up at least some of the money they were owed from that business that that goes bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not the fun part of the of investing world for sure, but it is the ultimate risk and something you have to think about when you are investing is, you know, what is the likelihood of this company going bankrupt? And, you know, using tools like Anders VTI is a great way to help avoid bankruptcies. There's also looking at the bond ratings of the company will also tell you how likely it is to go bankrupt. It's not a for sure thing. Nothing's a for sure thing in the stock market. But those are some, I guess, quick, easy tools that you can use to help you determine how risky a business. And that's really what we're talking about. When we're talking about risk, we're really talking about going to zero. It's not necessarily about losing, having a stock drop 50% in a couple months, because that's just part of volatility, but actual losing your, all your money, your, you know, having no recourse to recoup your money at all. That's the ultimate bummer. <laughs> yeah. It's where the numbers come in. It goes to a lot of what we say about knowing what you own. And, you know, some of that is knowing the numbers, but it's also knowing like, how does this business make money and what are the other competitive forces that are going to prevent it from making money? And you try to avoid the businesses that are not in good competitive situations. And that can help a lot with the whole bankruptcy risk in addition to everything else. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to something a little more cheery, shall we? (laughs) All right. So we have uh, hi, Andrew. I am from the UK and really enjoy both of your insights and approaches to the market 
in a time where there is so much noise and misleading information when getting started on my investing journey. I am 28 now, 29, have recently bought a house, and now want to start investing for my future with my wife and potentially future children. I am drawn to strong dividend-paying companies. My question relates to a purchase of a stock, which I believe you and Dave both made, which goes slightly against the grain. I think you made reference to this in an early episode. Why did you both buy shares in Berkshire Hathaway when it doesn't pay a dividend? I'm intrigued to know what caused you to break this rule and what the end goal is. Kind regards, Ashley Weeks. So I'm not going to speak for Dave Ahern because I'm not Dave Ahern. I'm Andrew Sather. And uh, I did buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway. And so that was so I could go to the annual meeting that he does in Omaha. So I was fortunate to be able to go, I think it was in 2018. And so all you had to do is just prove that you had at least one share of Berkshire. So I had my one share and that's been the extent of that. But other than that, yeah, I've really stuck to my whole dividend paying framework. Well, all right. So I am Dave Ahern and I will speak for myself and no one else. <laughs> so I am not representing Andrew in this, in this conversation. All right. So I have a strong conviction about trying to buy companies that pay a dividend. However, I will break out of the box if I find a company that I think is worthwhile investing in that I think are still going to give me great returns over a long period of time. And I think that Warren Buffett has proven unequivocally that he is probably the greatest or one of the greatest capital allocators ever. And so having giving him my money to do as he will with it to grow the value of Berkshire, I feel like is worth its weight in gold. And he buys companies that pays dividends. I think yeah, pretty all of the companies he buys pay dividends, I believe. And don't hold the my big ones, definitely. The big, do. Yeah, the, the big ones. Up, yeah. Yeah, the big portion of it. And if you look at the cash flow generation of the companies that he owns within Berkshire, it's kind of staggering. And from the insurance businesses to the you know, the train business to the real estate to the energy businesses that of retail just across the board it's just you know one success after another he's got a few clunkers in there it's not perfect he's not you know superhuman but i think the point is is that this company generates a ton of cash flow and they also are growing you know like a weed and they also buy back you know a ton of ton of shares and even though he isn't actually paying a dividend, there are not a lot of people that I would rather have him manage the money than me, just to be blunt. And by me giving, if he paid me a dividend, I would just reinvest it back in Berkshire anyway. So for me, it just makes more sense to let him allocate his returns at a higher return than the dividend is going to pay me. And so in the long run, I feel like that I would make a better investment. Now, Having said all that, and kind of going back to the earlier question about what happens when there's a change, unfortunately, Charlie and Warren are up in years. And at some point, they will not be running the company anymore, whether it's they retire or whether they, you know, go to the other plane. And so at some point, I'm going to have to decide whether I think that the people that are running Berkshire after those two are not involved are still running it at that same level, that'll be a decision I'll have to make at that point. But at this point, for me, it's an investment that I've made and I think is a great investment. And not only is the actual investment 
I think, a great investment. But the companies that he has bought and built around the conglomerate that is Berkshire are fantastic businesses that I would want to own individually. So whether it was the energy business, Berkshire Energy, or whether it was BNNS, BNSF, the train, or whether it was all the insurance agencies, I mean, Geico alone would be worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. And so these are ridiculously good businesses and are cash flow generating businesses that I want to own for a long period of time. So for me, it's kind of a no-brainer. Plus, it allows me to have admission to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting in the future if I want to go. And so that's, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, for me, it's just a win-win. It's it's definitely an investment that I, I do not lose sleep at night thinking about. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and you shouldn't. No, I actually wish I owned more. (laughs) (laughs) That's the bane of being an investor. Mm -hmm. Ashley did have a second part to the question. I think it was interesting, and this could actually get us into a whole different can of worms as well. I had a question regarding something that a UK broker, Free Trade, has just announced. They are forcing all customers to agree for them to be able to loan our shares out as securities in which the company makes money on to support their long-term goals of maintaining commission-free share trading. What are your thoughts on brokers doing security trading? Should I jump ship? So this is an interesting, very interesting discussion, and it's a very interesting question. So I guess I don't know, I'll preface all this by saying I'm not familiar with free trade, so I don't know what their status is. Here in the United States, depending on what the brokerage was, if it was something like Schwab or Fidelity or Ally Trade, big companies that have a lot of liquidity, a lot of capital, a long history of being stable, secure companies, I don't think I would have a lot of qualms about something like this. However, on the flip side of that, if it was a a young, unestablished, not a long track record, not great record in general, I'm looking at you, Robin Hood. If somebody like that came to me like this, I'm out. No way (laughs) would I let those people do this. They can't manage their own business. I would never let them manage my investments. So I guess having said that, Andrew, what are your thoughts? So I had Ally offer this to me. So basically I said, sure, why not? It was just like a pop-up on the screen and they said, can we loan out your shares? I said, sure, why not? Because I was just curious what, what would happen. So what they do is 
apparently my sh- my shares are loaned out to them. I still own the shares. And then I get a few pennies, I think it's like six cents, seven cents, eight cents a month from Ally as interest for me having loaned those shares. And so I don't know exactly why they're loaning the shares for me. I'm not like in the brokerage. You know, I don't work in brokerages. My guess is that it's probably has to do with like short selling or other traders that are like trading on margin and they're probably using those shares for those people. But it was very clear with Ally that I still own these shares. They're just, I guess by loaning them out, I get the sense that they're locked up so I can't sell them while they're locked up. I'm a long-term investor, so I don't really mind too much anyway. There's always the risk of a broker being irresponsible and that potentially having an effect on your own investments. And I think that's something we probably haven't touched on much. In the United States, you are covered. There is protection called SIPC. Was that it? Yep. SIPC. So you're insured up to $500,000 in case Ally or Schwab goes bankrupt. The SIPC will make sure you get the same number of shares that you had. When it comes to a UK broker, I don't know if they have... I know they have regulators and everything. I don't know if they have an exact protection on the amount of money that you have with the broker. And so that's what kind of makes me look a little suspiciously in that how are they using those shares and you know are they doing anything that's outside of the box of regular brokerage industry that could put that company at risk and then if that brokerage goes under you could potentially lose your shares. So like in the United States as an example to bring it back with Ally if I had like a million dollar portfolio with Ally and they were to go bankrupt, I'd be insured up to that $500,000, but the rest of it go poof. Like There's nothing you can do with that situation. I guess, fortunately, through history, there's been a couple of times where companies have gotten to the edge with that. Merrill Lynch was an example during 2008, 2009. These brokerages got bought out, and so their customers were basically saved in that like they didn't have to deal with their shares being lost. But that is a risk that is present with brokers. So like if you have a couple million dollars, it probably makes sense to put, you know, 500,000 here, 500,000 there. You can have multiple different brokerage accounts. And you know, when Dave talks about the difference between reputable brokers and kind of new up and coming upstarts with not much of a reputation for being around, you do have to be very very careful because these brokers, they can all make their websites look the same. And if you don't pay attention enough, you could potentially find yourself in a broker that's a risk to have your money in in the first place outside of the risk that you take buying stocks. So mm-hmm. if you stick to the brokers that we like to recommend, Ally, well, I like Schwab, I like Fidelity, mm-hmm. and um, I do have an Ally account. Those are all great brokers. Uh, I also like Merrill. I think they're a great broker. But I would try to stick with them. I can't speak for international brokers, but it's probably worth reading the fine print to see what what they're doing and, and how you're protected in with those brokers. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think reaching out to free trade and talking to them would probably be a pretty good choice. Just call them up and ask them what is involved in this, you know, swapping of shares or you know, agreeing to loan the shares to them. A, what do you get out of it? Besides just the ability to trade for free, is there some other benefit that you could receive or going to receive for allowing them to 
use your shares and then ask them what the risks are. How are you protected on the downside for this? Is there some sort of insurance that if the if something goes wrong with the company that you will be be able to make, be made whole by all this? Unfortunately, it can happen that brokerages will go out of business and it does happen occasionally. It's rare. It's probably more likely that other companies will swoop in and take over somebody like a free trade. And in that case, you don't necessarily, you won't lose your shares, but you may lose some of the value because here in the United States, that's kind of the way it works is they, they won't necessarily recover your value. They won't recover your value, but they'll allow you to retain your shares. So if you own 10 shares of Google, you'll still own those 10 shares, but you may not get the full price that you paid depending on what it was trading for at that time. So there's that kind of situation, but I agree with everything Andrew was saying. And I think it really would pay to do a little bit of due diligence. And if you are going to use any sort of brokerage account out there, whether it's here, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in Australia or England or anywhere else, make sure you do a little bit of due diligence on that company to make sure that they have the liquidity, they have a good reputation, and that they're going to treat you well because you're giving them your hard-earned money. They need to work for you. And it's not the other way around. And so make sure that they're taking care of you and they're giving you you know, some safety. I mean, Emphasis on the safety, this is part of the emphasis, is making sure that where you're putting your money to park it for whatever period of time, however you're parking it, it needs to be in a safe place, whether it's in a brokerage account or whether it's in a bank account. They're both kind of the same. It needs to be a safe place. So I would listen to what Andrew was saying. Those recommendations are are good choices. You'd be surprised how insightful it is, this idea to just call them. It's a great idea. And if you can't reach them now, then... What are you going to do when you actually have money with them and you can't reach them? That that would be a problem. The last thing I would just say is kind of try to pay attention to where they're headquartered because I know there's a lot of websites. I mean, we've answered a question like this on the show previously, but just websites just kind of give you like a bad vibe. And I'm not saying this at all about the, the broker we were talking about today, but I'm just saying in general, when you're researching brokers, look at where they are headquartered and look at what they say about regulation and if there's any sort of protection, SIPC if you're in the United States. Just be careful of that. Yep, I agree. That's all great advice. All right. So with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those great questions. Please keep it coming. It's a lot of fun for us to do this, and hopefully you guys get some good information and a little entertainment along the way, as Andrew and I sometimes don't always agree, So, <laughs> although we did today. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.